You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Not Percent. And I am not so we are Libertarians Network, and um, we're doing a live show today. Chris is out for one more week, and then I promise we'll come back to a new, a different looking studio. It's moving right now. So um, he should be back. But in the meantime, I have some uh, We Are Libertarians that you might know. And we're just going to chat about some things that happened in the news this week. Um, regular for the Chris Spangle Show, you know him well from the We Are Libertarians Network. And I have to ask you this right now. Is your real name not allowed to be said on uh, the Chris Spangle show? Uh, do, okay, so here's the thing. What do you consider a real name? The name that the government tells you you have to use? <laughs> or the one you choose for yourself. You, you know what, Dennis? I Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that your hair is down, and you're already, like, being pretty a uh, little sparky. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to feisty no, this morning. Yes. Are you good? I like that. So I'm going to accidentally call you Dennis a lot. I hope you don't mind that. Mm-hmm. But everybody it else is what knows. It is. I don't care. Okay. It's just, it's, it's just, this is what I like to call myself. It's not a big deal. Well, then you okay. are Reinhold to the audience. So I do want to say, if I refer to him as Dennis, it's the guy you know as Reinhold that you love. Um, Dennis, how was your week? How are you doing? Uh, my week was busy with work, 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 and some more work. And then there was a little bit more work on top of that. So this is my chance to cut loose and forget about all that for a few days to let your hair down. Would you say to let my hair down and party? <laughs> awesome. And then um, we have another co-host today. You know him from the network as well. He hosts the show enemy of my enemy, which is a great podcast. Oh, I think they go live on Sundays okay. all week for you guys to listen. <laughs> um, oh, look, Derek says you look glorious, Dennis. Um, <laughs> anyways, Hody did let his hair down as well. All of it. Every every <laughs> strand of hair is flowing in the wind. No hat need to today. Get, like a fan, some kind of machine for you to just. Oh that. yeah. That, well, the you know, if I get the right lighting, the gleam from the wax can uh, on on the forehead can actually be a little bit blinding. Yes. Obviously, we are streaming on video today, so I, I don't want to I don't want to hurt anybody's eyeballs with that. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate that. Um, of course, we can always go back and edit that glowing sheen off your head out. But <laughs> anyways, uh, Hody does host Enemy of the Enemy of My Enemy. Go to wearelibertarians.com. Check out his show. You can get a link there. How are you doing this week, Hody? 
Great. Uh, a lot like Reinhold, I'm a little bit busy. Uh, they they keep this is the kind of busy season for video games. Anytime there's anything before Christmas, uh, they they kind of you get a rush, and it feels like once a week now at least we're getting a big game that they're like, all right, Audi, we need another 25 articles about this game. So I am I'm a little tired, uh, but. Uh, I've been playing a lot of games and writing about a lot of games, and I like doing both of those things, so I cannot complain all that much. How do you write 25 articles a week? Uh, I try to avoid that, if at all possible. <laughs> um, I, it, yeah, it, 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 does get, it does get pretty excessive. There are... Um, but I guess when you're doing what you love, you, you find the time. Uh, I, I don't know. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's there, there's a whole process to it that I have that makes it possible. Uh, but yeah, you know what? They, they, they pay me well. And so what could I say? Uh, I will give them 25 articles a week. If they want the quality to improve, maybe they should cut it down to 15, but Hey, you know what? It is not, no, <laughs> it's not their fault or anybody's fault that this is just the busy season and the pop most popular time to play games right now. That's just the way it works. And so I am already look for, looking forward to the day after Christmas. Yes. So Hody has his dream job and career, even though he still uh, takes time to podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network, but he gets to play video games and gets paid for it. Sort <laughs> of, but not really. He has to write about it too. But <laughs> Yeah, I have to let everybody know that I'm playing video games. I have, <laughs> there has to be a paper trail as well. <laughs> and Dennis does nerdy tech things. So that's the extent of what I know about Dennis's job. <laughs> But we'll probably touch on that a little today. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what happened this week, particularly two items. One is everybody's favorite social media giant, Facebook. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Facebook had an episode, which we kind of knew was coming, about a whistleblower. Her name was uh, Frances. I think Hogan is her last name. And they did an uh, interview with her. She was prepared to go before Congress on Tuesday. Um, and basically, she gave away a lot of information that happened internally with Facebook when they did studies um, on what social media does to its users. Uh, they found it amplifies hate, misinformation, and political unrest. Those are really big and wide terms. Um, so to me, this wasn't a huge, like, this wasn't new information to me. Um, but it certainly was treated as if it was. So we'll start off with you, Dennis. Like, what were your thoughts about that initial whistleblower episode? If, did you catch any of it? Or uh, So my initial thought was, yeah, and uh, what? I mean, I mean, we know that social media, especially Facebook, um, change have algorithms of what they show you based off what you like and what gets the what gets the ads in front of your face this is called advertising this is called news media does this everybody does this cnn does this right so i don't know why facebook is treated differently because of that because they're doing the exact same thing cnn does you know they're they're pushing stories (laughs) that they know can get people to watch and tune in and they generate outrage in order for people they put they literally have their format as person on the left person on the right let's talk a subject argue with each other that's the whole point i mean facebook's no different than that uh we know they do this right now i find it ironic and hilarious that all the people who keep getting knocked off of Facebook because they called somebody a potato or uh, 
you know, just say, oh, you're an idiot. Oh, no, that's hate speech. We need to knock you off. So they're they're trying to combat that that way instead of saying maybe our algorithm that is pushing everybody against each other and causing this conflict, maybe we don't go that full route and we pull back a little bit, make a little bit less money, won't have the quite the ad, quite the quite the engagement, but uh, we'd be happier if we did that. Right. We would have a happier clientele. Mm-hmm. We would have a better reputation, but no, they want the money. So they want to, they want to build that up. They want to do just like what CNN is doing. And that's how CNN went from a really great idea to CNN. just, just <laughs> junk yeah. to where I can't watch. The sh- I can't watch it anymore. Right. So I, if I'm watching, wanting to watch news, I'll watch CBS news because they do a lot better job of just showing you the news sometimes. Um, that's, so that's kind of how I felt about when I heard the, 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 that we were going to have this whistleblowing thing is that to me, it sounds much, there's, there's a whole theory, a conspiracy theory going on about this, which there's some merit to. Yes. Uh, Do you want to elaborate that or let, well, I don't know if we want the hell to jump in. (laughs) I think, I think if we have time, we're definitely going to get to that because I find that very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And you're not a major conspiracy theorist either, nope. Dennis, so I'd be interested. Not- but, Hody, um, you know, you work in an industry, gaming industry, which has had some conflicts about how it tre- uh, treats people that use it and things like that. Obviously, you use Facebook um, and social media. What did you think when you initially heard, like, there's going to be a whistleblower on and we're going to, you know, blow a story? And after you heard what she had to say, I mean, what was your reaction? Um, boy, when somebody says they have something to blow the whistle on, usually it's something really, uh, really illegal to blow the whistle on something that you get in a lot of trouble for saying something that you're saying, Hey, you know what? I might have a non-disclosure, uh, about this, uh, and, but I'm going to break it because it's worth, you know, crossing the line and talking about, I mean, when we talk, when you look at the history of whistleblowers, you know, people like Chelsea Manning and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Snowden. I mean, you just got people that, that were willing to get hurt to face a serious consequence in order to tell the truth about something or, or reveal the truth about something. Uh, Chris Spagel actually had a great point on this. Cause I, I was kind of like, where's where's the beef here? And Chris made a great point. Cause he's like, whistleblowers, you don't deserve the term unless you're like, you know, revealing something that nobody knows this kind of stuff. Everybody knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there needs to be some kind of like very scary penalty versus, you know, this person's being rewarded. You know, you got book deals, you got, you know, this is, this is one of those. It's like now, and I don't want to throw out her testimony because I think that it's actually somewhat important um, that we look at this just because it is something that says, even if regardless of, you know, we get philosophical as libertarians a lot. Like what would this happen in our oh, society? What would in, in a libertarian society is what would blah, da, 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 da. and it's like, look, at the same time, we do need to be able to take this for what it is. Is Facebook being a bad partner? Are they profiting off of negative social media interactions? Are they, you know, encouraging toxic behaviors? Yes, yes. And yes. And I think that all this, like, I think just first and foremost, you know, I, I do, as much of a libertarian as I am, I don't try to sit down and just intentionally wear my libertarian lens all the time. And I think that it, it like for me, I just wanted to listen to her testimony and just say, hey, say what you got to say. I want to just be able to take it all in. I'll be able to look later on whether how much I feel is truthful 
how much I think is mm-hmm. actionable, how much I think is, you know, uh, you know, what is the government's role in fixing this? What is my role in fixing this? Um, a lot of this is, uh, of course, you know, encouraging your own worst tendencies. But I think, you know, what I take away from it, just just initially, since that's the question we're dealing with, and I do want to get into the the other stuff that you guys are talking about. But the the just initially, I think the thing is, what can I do to fix this behavior? Because I don't want the government to step in and stop my t- stop the toxicity. I want to step in and stop the toxicity. I want to be able to say, hey, listen, if I am engaging in these behaviors that Facebook is profiting off of, obviously they're going to be incentivized to encourage me to continue these negative behaviors. What should I do knowing that what she said in her testimony, what can I do to say, hey, here's what I need to do to fix that, to make sure that I'm not constantly inundated this with this echo chamber or with this, hey, here's something you're going to fight about. Here's something you're going to fight about popping up on my feed. How do I kind of control that better? If this is a tool that I'm going to continue to use, which probably another good question after this, is it a tool you continue to use? But if it's a tool that you continue to use, what's a healthy and responsible way to use it, knowing that there these are the dangers that come along with this tool? Um, I think you bring up an excellent point, and I would say there's really only one clear answer to that, and it is to never post a Five Guys meme. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, yeah, that's difficult. It's difficult for everybody to answer that because it's basically, you know, it's not an evil tool in and of itself. It goes back to that old, you know, saying it's how you use it. It's not what it is. It's how you use it. it. Also, my husband and I were talking about how we kind of had the same reaction Dennis did like, Oh gee, wow. We can't believe that this social media is, you know, making people dislike each other more, you know, Instagram is making young girls feel bad about their bodies, but you know, perhaps the fact that billions of people use it and it's very instant and it connects a lot of people might be different. But you know, when I flipped open teen magazines, when I was younger, I saw the same thing. I mean, they did the same thing to me. The articles there could almost be looked at as satire, you know, what yeah. was targeted toward teens back then. So, you know, nothing new under, sun, under the sun that way. However, it does have a larger reach and it's a bigger part of our lives now. Um, now, you brought up, Dennis. So we know that this this gal gives her um, has the interview air on Sunday and she's testifies before Congress on Monday. Um, but something or on Tuesday, something happened on Monday. And this is the time that the lights went out on Facebook. Um, I think they were down for about five hours, could have absolutely nothing to do with what happened, the whistleblower. And, you know, um, I think the issue, and I'm forgive me, I'm not a tech person. They couldn't connect to their servers. Um, and so you literally couldn't open Facebook, WhatsApp, or Instagram. Um, you could open it, but it was just blank. You know, the feed that you'd had the second it went out was the feed you had. Um, so... This seems like a big problem, you know, for a social media company that has billions of users. I mean, there's a lot of people that try to open apps using Facebook. So it really, um, it was a really bad thing, (laughs) especially for their stocks. I mean, their value dropped, although in the long run, I don't know how much that mattered. Dennis, if you could explain, and I'm going to use Chris's term, like I'm in kindergarten, what exactly happened on Monday? That would be great. So... (laughs) What happened on Monday is everybody got a peek under the curtain on the reality of what the internet is. The internet is a cobbled together, shoestring tied, uh, aluminum foil wrapped system of disparate networks all trying to talk to each other. 
uh, with a lot of different fingers in the pie, a lot of different people managing how those connections resolve and work with each other. Uh, so there's routing protocols and there's all this communications and, and nobody's really like sitting. It's not like people think it is where somebody's sitting there and going, okay, here's the underlying network of, of connectivity. And then we all kind of connect into our little nodes and everything's good. No, it's, it's talking back and forth and communicating and everything else. So what they did was they would configure were updating the configuration on their routers I believe it was the routers. It was, a, it was a networking configuration. So that's what makes the most sense to me. It could have been switching, but I think it was probably more routers. Um, there was a misconfiguration made. It caused the system to be taking offline. The connectivity to the, to the rest of the internet was basically taken offline. Well, they needed to go in and fix it. The problem is, is that they live, they eat their own dog food. They, which means that they, all their systems run on their stuff. So when their stuff is down, people couldn't authenticate to get in to fix it because they couldn't authenticate the, their main back end because their back end was not accessible. So that requires physical contact and trying to get in there and take care of things. Well, they couldn't even get into the, the offices because they have card readers to let them in and out and authorize who can go in and out of the offices. And then even further, they have that into the server room. And so it was a cascading failure. Um, from from the original misconfiguration that would have taken because we were sitting there going okay this is going to be down for half an hour an hour somebody's going yeah. to get in there re-upload a, a new config and get back online but because of all the other things that happened uh, on top of that it took so long to get in and get that fixed so that's that's kind of the technical rundown on what happened with with the uh, outage so a social media company is basically. I mean, obviously, they have some in-people offices, you know, in-person offices, obviously, the employees that go somewhere and report or, you know, work from home. But their whole business is online. Don't you think that, um, you know, a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar business with billions of users probably should, like, not just have their own little network or <laughs> I don't know, that seems um, a little ridiculous. So, so as a consultant um, on on certain things. Um, I would, we always try to recommend single point of failure issues. We recommend, you know, backup and disaster recoveries and things like this, um, back out plans. Uh, there's a whole series of it things that, uh, procedures that are put into place that most companies we recommend use in order to, um, prevent something like that from happening. Almost nobody does everything we recommend. There's always, there's always, because there's trade-offs. I mean, think about security. You can have the, the only way to have a secure system is to have a computer system locked in a closet, turned off, not connected to anything, and the key to the closet thrown away. That might be considered a secure system. Once you start using the system, you lose security. So where's, where's the ratio? Where's that balance where, we want functionality, but we don't want security getting in the way, but we also don't want to be so insecure that all of our data gets manipulated or we get hacked or something like that. Because mm-hmm. that was the biggest, that was kind of what everybody thought was they were hacked because of what happened on the day before on, on 60 Minutes, right? Yes. Um, which I don't think happened, um, but we don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. 
we're not going to know anything if they don't tell us that stuff because I don't think they use any outside resources to fix it. I think they took care of it themselves. So um, whether or not they have to report all of this information, um, who knows? So, I mean, that's we may learn from that if they have since it's a publicly traded company they might have to report this if there was mm-hmm. an insurance hit like if they want to claim insurance on it um which they could do mm-hmm. uh, that's going to require them to to pony up information as well so we may get a little more details coming out of it i'm sure some people have already got into that and got into the nitty-gritty of it i was kind of busy so i didn't get a a chance to really deep dive into some of the technical side of things but well, I'm pretty I think sure that, it was just a misconfiguration and a series of bad decisions. Or maybe not. We actually had um, somebody comment that um, QAnon has a theory about it. <laughs> I probably well, shouldn't QAnon. say that. This is going to get flagged. Um, and <laughs> anyways, Hody, like, what was your whole take on, you know, the night, the day that the lights went off on Facebook and the world ended because we couldn't see memes for five hours? Yeah, so Dennis is going to have, or uh, Reinhold is going to have the far more informed opinion on this one. Um, I, I I deal with the fun side of video games, but there is an IT side that occurs in almost every game. You get released and everything goes down or servers are having problems. And so it's funny because I, I have frequently run across this issue. And of course, I, I don't, um, we have features writers. My job is more to do with like the game itself, you know, the artwork, the music, my job isn't, sorry, go ahead. That's a good question. I was wondering, are you still in line in queue to get onto new world? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. No new world is this game. Uh, yeah. The very first day I, I've, I had got some great screenshots of being like, Hey, you're number, you know, 1800 uh, in line. Like I'm at a deli counter and I, there's 1800 people in front of me and I'm just like, Oh gosh, this is going to, I mean, I, quick one of those, side note um, for anybody that's not a nerd. I believe this is a video game. Yes. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. New world is not actually a different <laughs> planet. It is the name of a video game. Uh, but yeah, it was a, uh, I mean, so the stuff like that, where you just kind of say like, and it's it's unique a little bit every time, you know, sometimes it's a code that doesn't work. Sometimes it's too many people logging on. Sometimes it's just, you know, there's things that happen when a million people try to play your game at once versus when you had it tested and 20 people were playing your game at once. And, uh, you know, people are going to start to expose if there's a problem that only occurs for 0.1% of people, that becomes a serious problem when, you know, 30 million people are playing your game that aren't a problem when, you know, uh, 10 people are playing your game. And so these are just things that kind of happen with it. And and they're, they're physical, they're technical. Now to bring this over to the Facebook side of things, uh, uh, they use a lot of terms that I've seen before as far as what happened, as far as how much of an expert I am, am about it. Not really. But it is one of those where you kind of say like, boy, this is a corporate giant that had everything in place. And it represented kind of a bad hour. I, I don't have any real conspiracy about it other than, you know, perhaps this is one of those times when you don't want people using Facebook to share this one bit of news that's happening exactly at this moment uh, when somebody that uh, has bad news about your company is testifying before Congress that I get that that is a, that's awful convenient timing before uh, for them. It has happened before. I mean, it's, it's, it's Facebook has had issues, uh, <laughs> uh, has had, had issues before with, with certain things. And of course, Instagram was down as well. Um, Do you want you to know, answer that question, Hody? 
Yeah. Jake, Jacob Daniel. <laughs> he wants to know why Chris Spangle went bold. Um, well, Chris decided to, uh, copy my signature. Look, uh, it's <laughs> no, I, I feel for, I, I feel for, listen, I've been Charlie Brown in since third grade at the, at some point, <laughs> And I tried to fight it for too long. And honestly, the ugliest years of my life is when I tried to hold on to it. Like I was doing <laughs> the the wild things to try and keep the hair. Yeah, no good. Um, from a from a technical standpoint, really, I, I can't tell you exactly what happened. or And I, I don't really have an insights to it. There's times when it did affect me personally, especially when they do an update. Um, th- there's something called like a, a slave server where you have it like back up all the information in case something goes wrong with your main server. And uh, I, I did play a video game once where they actually uh, updated their slaves ter- server at the same time as the master server and it didn't work out. And so there was information lost on the entire player base. It was actually a pretty big problem at the time for one of my favorite games at the time. Uh, and, and so there are, there are times like that when you just kind of make a really bad, bad, bad mistake uh, when Facebook goes offline for six hours they're the first, I mean, they're the first to say, Hey, business is not good. And yeah. stocks were going down because of your whistleblower anyhow. But now when you're offline, stocks are really, really going down. Cause they're like, Oh wow. Th- things are problematic. That being said, was it a controlled loss knowing that you're going to take a little bit of, bit of an L anyway? I don't know. I mean, I don't, uh, the thing is, is it's a combination of two things. One, a very much a lack of proof. There's no transparency in this area. So I don't know. Like, you know, it's not like they have a video set up and looking at it. Their yeah. explanation seems to make sense to me. And so as much, but, and then that takes us to part two of the equation. I also don't trust them. I mean, they, they've done terrible things before with people's personal information, things they kind of indicated they wouldn't do before. Uh, a lot of what the whistleblower kind of revealed kind of showed things that's like, oh, so they're aware that there are these kind of problems and that they're aware that they've kind of contributed to part of those problems kind of for the sake of profit. So it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, I I, I don't really trust you, but you have an explanation. I don't, I don't, and we'll never have proof to refute what you say. And so obviously this is when you kind of get people to crawl into that quantum area of whatever truth I have is reality. Right. And so, uh, and so you kind of get to say whatever you want and nobody has proof one way or the other. You know, the thing too, well, I wanted to point out is that does anybody really think that anybody who doesn't like face or likes Facebook now would not like Facebook after what was whistled on that. This is new information that nobody's ever talked about or mentioned before. This isn't a reason to take your, your network offline for six hours and lose how many millions of dollars. Right. Yeah. If it doesn't make sense, that money on PR and be done. Yeah. yeah they're not going to, they're not, this is, they're not going to do that. That's not the route they would take in this case. It wasn't like it was revealed that Mark Zuckerberg strangled a prostitute. Or anything. I mean, this is, I mean this it's is, possible. <laughs> I mean, I didn't see that in in the release. Maybe it was buried somewhere. But that's that's you know, it's it's not anything. Everybody had the same reaction of oh, yeah, that that you know that that gif of uh, Jeremy Clarkson. It's like oh, anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. No, um, and Dennis, I think you make a good point because a lot of people, you know, conspiracy theories have to make us make sense to be true. And so if somebody has nothing to gain from it, it just doesn't make any sense. I do think it's poor timing. And so part of me thinks maybe some of those conspiracy theorists 
theories about like an insider attacking the company might be true. Like, like somebody that, um, it feels like that they're going to, you know, I see what you did. I've worked for you. I work on the inside. I'm taking you down to show you. Is that a possibility or is that kind of way out there as well? It, it could have been. It could have been a possibility. I think there's a, a larger, more realistic conspiracy that's going on here. Than, okay, which one? Than that they took their network down because of it. Um, but as as far as what, you know, could have happened, I mean, yeah, any, anything could have. They could have been hacked by Anonymous and then. You know, they're trying to cover it up too. Who knows? But Anonymous would have blown the whistle on that, I'm sure, but and touted it. But you know, they could have been they could they could have got hit by ransomware. Yeah. Right. Who knows? I mean, it, there's all kinds of things that it could have been. Um, but I don't see the I don't see the motive behind taking your network down and lose millions of dollars. What's the what's the game? Um, it's not like nobody's not on Twitter talking about it. No, <laughs> you know I'm saying. Well, that's the funny thing. Everybody kind of went over. I was just going to kind of segue into that. Everybody went over into other apps and it made me really realize, although I, I enjoy the memes and some of the links and following friends that I know, um, I mainly use it to talk to people. And automatically, uh, we have a group chat for hosts and you know researchers and things like that. And we are libertarians. We just went over to Signal and it was fine. And I thought, isn't it so funny that we rely on the messenger application or Facebook, which, you know, there's certain things that Signal or Telegram can't do. But if you just want to connect with people, there's lots of other ways to do it. But some for some reason, we're just kind of stuck, you know, in this, this is the way we talk to each other. Well, it's partly ease of use. It's partly this is where everybody kind of is. We've kind of gravitated to it because of certain reasons, not nefarious reasons or or it's not like. Yes, Facebook is a crack dealer. I get that. But it's not like we're all using it just because it's crack. It's because it's the better crack than the other crack, right? Yeah. I mean, they just have put together a system that it's easy to kind of keep up with your friends and family. And that's what everybody likes about it. I mean, Twitter is not that right. in your face and responsive. Like you hit the refresh button, you're getting, you're getting new news, right? So Twitter's a little bit more kind of it's just a different mindset. It's a different way of interacting. And a lot of older people don't like it as much. Facebook is much easier to use. Therefore your family is more likely on it. Therefore you're likely on it to keep track with your family. Therefore, if you have a choice of what to use, you're going to use that meat mechanism. Right. right. So that's why we, we still use it. You know, even after we go to signal and we come back, we've gone to signal twice now, yeah. you know, when <laughs> we decided that Facebook is not, not friendly to us. Or down or whatever, but we're still there because it's it's easy to do. So yeah, I would say there's a couple other um, social media um, companies that like <laughs> use like MeWe um, or Minds, which I think are uh, great ideas, and I know a lot of people that use them and like them. But for me personally, I'm on them. Uh, it's just not as good. I wouldn't. I would say I like the companies and the way they run them better, especially MeWe. But at the same time, it doesn't. It's not doing for me the same thing as, oh, I need to check this person's thing out, or I need this photo, right. or I need to share this, you know, thing to a group or whatever. So in it's order, just, it doesn't work as good. In order to beat a monopoly, you have to be better mm-hmm. than monopoly. You can't just be the same. You have to right. give somebody something special that they need. That's what Facebook took over from MySpace, right? They they gave people things that they were looking for, something alternative, something better. Mm-hmm. 
so people left. I mean, that's how you get people to go away from it. You don't get them to go away just because all their business practices are bad. That's going to knock down some of their business, but everybody knows that already. You've already lost all that business, so why bother trying to gain it back, right? You just keep going along. That's what they do, so. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's just kind of a rule of capitalism or free market. If you make something better, people will gravitate towards it. Um, I mean, you could copy Facebook, I suppose, but it's just not people are just going to stay at Facebook. So I'm sure that one day something will come along and they'll become obsolete or something will happen. Some horrible thing will take them down. I don't foresee that happening in the near future. But, you know, you never know. There's a lot of things I didn't foresee that. that especially, <laughs> especially knowing that the the other uh, conspiracy that I'm talking about yeah. Go is ahead, probably Dennis. more likely. So that other conspiracy is that the whole whistleblower thing was actually a plant. That this was Facebook having an having someone go out and go and make this big big raise of big fuss because Congress is starting to talk about this sort of thing already. Now they can get this information out there and really push to get 230 changed and get government more involved in regulating social media so that the people who are already at the top of the tier in social media can keep competition away. That actually makes the most sense of everything I've heard. <laughs> I mean, we don't know if it's true. Hody, what are your thoughts on that? Um, Boy, uh, I, I don't, um, <clears throat> it strikes me as more of a, here's the thing. I think, I think Facebook, I don't believe this person, Francis Hoggett is intentionally doing the will of Mark Zuckerberg. But I do think there is some truth in the idea that it's controlled opposition a little bit because the solutions are things that Facebook is already in the driver's seat to fixing. In fact, during the testimony, uh, which I listened to in preparation for the show, I, I, I was uh, w- one of the things that struck me was that she was not in a position really as an insider on much of the information she was talking about. Much of what she revealed was actually just internal company documents that got spread around that everybody knew about, right? Like she's like, everybody who works for Facebook can give you the information I'm giving you, you know? And so it's one of those things that you're like, okay, so why are you, why are you here then? What, what is that you actually know? You know, why why are we listening to you above anybody else? And really it's just because she was willing to speak about it or going to speak about it. But I don't, you know, for me, I think that anything that's going to be spread around it, not publicly, but on an internal, you know, basis for an email, you know, as Mark Zuckerberg, that any time this stuff is going to get screenshotted and go public. I mean, it's just as simple as taking a picture with your phone or forwarding the email to your personal email or forwarding it to the press. So you're never going to talk about something that you don't want everybody to know about. Here's the other thing about it is a lot of what she revealed, especially the failures in the algorithms, were things that Facebook was talking about being like, hey, this algorithm's not working out because look at what it's doing. Okay, well, at the time, obviously, Facebook doesn't have a solution for it. But the fact that they're working on a solution means they are more and more, they are closer to fixing it than many other social media companies are. I mean, a lot of the issues that Hagen talked about with Facebook, I mean, if you make it about Twitter, Twitter's got three times the problem. And then something like, I mean, MeWe has eight times the problem. And something like Gab has 55 times the problem of, you know what I mean? So Facebook is actually, the the reason these are in discussion a lot is because it is something that 
that they were working on that they knew about. And they're like, Hey, this algorithm isn't working right or isn't doing right. Whereas a lot of companies aren't even having this discussion. And so they are already kind of in a position where they're like, Hey, we're trying to fix it. And if Congress stops in, we're like, Hey, just hypothetically, if you can't be a social media company, unless you fix these things, Facebook magically is the closest to fixing those problems. So this is kind of a, I I don't know if it's controlled opposition and without being mean, because I know that this is going to sound terrible. I think it's kind of the useful idiot thing. I don't believe Hagen's an idiot, but the idea is that what you do is you take somebody and you're like, Hey, this is actually a useful thing for us. So I, I don't care. And I believe that anybody could have been it. I don't think Hagen specifically is getting paid. I just think it's one of those things you knew any any employee could go do this. It got done by this particular employee. And then Mark Zuckerberg's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's stuff that's internal. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever. Like, I think the idea is uh, that it actually kind of, and I get I get the conspiracy because the idea is that it actually makes them look good. The reason these are going around internal emails because they say, our algorithm is failing as opposed to saying like, this is hilarious, you know? And so <laughs> it, it is one of those that you kind of say, like, I wish that it was one of those mwahaha thing. You know, I, I wish the big reveal would be like, Hey, look, people are having negative and toxic interactions. Isn't that awesome? Let's capitalize on this as right. opposed to, Hey, look, our algorithm is incentivizing negative and toxic reactions. Do you think there's any way we can make them positive? And so it does paint Facebook and kind of, you know, while they don't look good because their algorithm is not working on working out, it, it puts them in kind of a more positive light. The other thing I wanted to go to is what you were talking about just before that uh, with Reinhold. It, it, the problem, one of the tough things about social media is that it's social. The, the con, that what you consume is actually your family and friends, you know, that what their thoughts are, what they're, what's going on in their lives. And one of the reasons that it's more difficult to, because if I move on from like a burger joint, I don't like going to McDonald's anymore. Well, the, I, it's not based on something social. There's nothing that's going to stop me from leaving McDonald's and going to wherever I want to go. You know, if I will just, mm-hmm. if I uh, say five guys, for example, I want to go to five guys <laughs> instead of McDonald's, the, the product is the burger. The reason I'm there is the burger, right? The reason I'm on Facebook is because of my mom, my grandma, my friends. And so the it's tough because it's not just one of those decisions where you say, oh, there's a better product. I'm going to leave now. Now, the thing is, it will happen. People are already noticing that Facebook is kind of no longer the juggernaut mm-hmm. that it used to be. There's other competitors that are putting out that better product, but it's still going to take some time. There's going to be these growing pains. I'm going to make one last video game reference, and then I probably won't talk about it again for the rest of the episode. World of Warcraft was putting out an inferior product for a very long time, and it's only been recently that kind of other massively multiplayer on online games have overtaken them but it had taken a very long time because the thing is is it was a social game it was massively Mm -hmm. multiplayer it was designed so it's all why do you play it because all my friends play it that's a totally legitimate reason to play you know and just like social media why are you on facebook cody gosh if every single one of my friends left and we're just like we're doing MeWe instead i'd be on MeWe. Because that's the product. It's not the product is the socialization. Mm-hmm. I just want a platform that does it best. Facebook has obvious problems. And I am very open to somebody else do it better. In fact, I would say there are social media platforms doing it better. The problem is, is unlike a burger joint, the product is my grandma, my mom, 
my cousins, my brothers, mm-hmm. my friends, my family, until they get all of those people to move over, you kind of get stuck on it. So I understand why a lot of people are like, I hate Facebook. Why am I, why am I still doing this? Why, why is this the crack dealer? I think that that kind of strikes me as, as yeah. why, why it's the crack dealer. I, I think you made a good point. Um, we are the product. Our family is the product. <clears throat> it's funny when, when you don't pay for something, you're the product. Apparently your mom can be the product too. Your mom. Um, <laughs> so, so um, I think uh, you guys made some good points at the end of the game of day. I think that we've gone back to the fact that there's not a lot we can do about it and nothing really changed, but uh, <laughs> I want to go to a quick uh, ad break here. And then we're going to come back and talk about something that is really exciting. It's super sexy. We're going to talk about the debt ceiling. So we will be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, welcome back to the Not Chris Spangle Show. I am not Chris Spangle. Um, he's out this week, but um, we're just doing a show here on the Weird Libertarians Network, a live show. I've got Reinhold with his long locks and Hody with his long locks. And we've just been talking about what's been going on this week. And we are going to talk a little bit about the debt ceiling. Um, and I want to be the person that talks about it to you because I have a kindergartner's <laughs> understanding. Now I do have somewhat of an understanding of economics. I'm an anarcho-capitalist and used to be a conservative Republican. So I have learned, Um, but I don't get into a lot of the semantics. I know Hody's done a little bit about this. Dennis has a good knowledge on it, but I want to kind of explain what the debt ceiling is to anybody that's just kind of a layman. Um, What it is, is that we can't actually pay our bills as the government. um, If we can't extend that sometimes because we can't make payments and therefore the government has to shut down. Would you guys say that that's a fair description of what we need to do? So to raise the debt ceiling means that we can't pay our bills that we have until we can borrow more. It, it, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like trying to hit up a payday loans when when you're you have a tire go out and you don't have the money to last to to get you to the next check. So you're trying to drive around on a on a bad tire. You go to payday loans to try and get a pre-loan check, you know, mm-hmm. you have to raise that debt limit that you have. So initially you don't have a, your debt limit is zero, right? And, and you're you basically go, a payday loan. That's a great explanation because yeah. you're, you're borrowing off what you will make eventually, not what you're making now. It's the theory. Yeah. That, that yeah. We're, that this will all work itself out. Once the economy kicks in the right way, we'll be bringing in a lot more money in taxation, but everybody's life will still be better. Yeah. And this utopia will happen. Yes. And then we can pay the debt down. Right. It's just like, yeah, I'm, go- I'm going to eventually get out of that payday loan cycle. You know, the payday loan cycle where you get the payday loan and then the next it's due. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no, I need money to pay this. So you go in there and you just extend it. And yeah. You extend it. And that's why you see these lines at the payday loan places because they're paying 35, 40, 50, 80 percent interest <laughs> on their original mm-hmm. money that they borrowed because they can't get out of it because they can't, they can't get the money together to pay it completely down because it was done in an emergency 
situation anyway. So that's definitely a better way to explain it. You're exactly right. And um, I do want to touch on it has to do with the bill, the big new spending bill, but it's not the same thing. I think a lot of people conflate the two. Um, some people didn't want to pass extent, uh, you know, raising the debt ceiling because they were afraid, you know, hey, we're going to do this. And then I don't want to, you know, you to pass that bill. So this is what I'm going to do and say, no, I'm not going to do this. Um, there are two different things. It would have had to have been raised regardless um, had they not passed this giant new spending bill, which they want to pass. I can't remember. I think it's three to five trillion. I don't even know what they're negotiating. It, I'm trying it to put depends on, on the people and yeah. who, whose side you're on and what they want it to be. But the, the other thing is, too, is that the, the debt ceiling is currently a political football. Mm-hmm. That people use with each other because two, three years ago, the roles were reversed. The Democrats mm-hmm. didn't want to raise the, the limit. Right. And the Republicans did. So it's whoever's in charge doesn't want to take the hit. That was the big thing with Donald Trump is that he closed down the the government because he was he was wanting something other than actually fixing the problem with the debt. He was wanting other things and he was willing to let the government shut down in order to get those things. And he ended up having to pull back from that because it's political nightmare fuel to, to shut down the government. And um, although it was great for libertarians, libertarians loved it, Um, but it was, it was bad for the, for the politics of the time. So that that's why it's used. It's used as a cudgel. And they're trying to use it as a cudgel now to get their stimulus packages through. Right. Yeah. So when I say it's not related to that, it is. And the fact that, like Dennis says, it's a political football. So it's a tool to say, no, we want what we want. So therefore, we're not going to do what we have to do in order for the government to not shut down. Now, I want to say that uh, when the government says they're going to shut down, they're never going to shut down. Now, what they do is they pull things that people like. Um, There may be some things that do hurt some people um, that work for the federal government or things like that, but it doesn't actually really shut down or else, you know, we'd have anarchy, um, which would be non-essential services. (laughs) Yes. So they would cut. And, you know, obviously when, when our payments, like only a third of those are congressional, you know, discretionary spending and two thirds are like Medicare and social security, people still get those checks. I know they have threatened before that you wouldn't possibly not be able to do that. I don't think that's happened in the past um, because that would just be that would be like taking a gun to your own head as, you know, a congressman or senator. That would just be the dumbest thing you could do. Um, So, Hody, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. You just don't you don't take that precious. It's Social Security is what um, the left and the right love and Medicare. You know what I mean? That's their favorite type of entitlement. It's what all it's what all the anti-socialist people, you know complain about when they're in line to getting their social security checks, right? Yes. <laughs> well, you know, maybe I'm not a real libertarian, but if it is around, I'm going to take it <laughs> because they took it from me. Not yeah, that it's going to be there. It from me for years. I'm taking it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not a purist. Hody, are you a um, social security, Medicare purist? Uh, uh, no, uh, no, they, they, you know, here's the thing. They stole it from you before you were even born. So, I mean, yeah. you, you're entitled to it literally from the moment you pop out of the womb and Hey, they're called entitlements. So that works. Um, the, the idea behind debt and, uh, what you know, is the debt ceiling is actually, um, not what you as a normal human being would call debt. And, uh, I, I love economics, but, and I understand it gets complicated. 
But what I really loved, what really latched on to me about economics is actually how simple it really actually is. Because they use these complicated terms and you just kind of like, okay, this hurts my head. Please tell me it in simpler terms. Now, financing, way complicated. That, that you, If you just talk about like currency and financing, that is one of those rabbit holes that you go down. You're just like, does this ever end? This is the most wild thing ever. But economics itself is actually quite simple. So what we actually do is we owe people just a hair under $158 trillion. The government has used the services, has promised people money. You know, this is this averages to just under half a million dollars per person. Um, and that's just in, in services that we have rendered that we have not paid for. So uh, the big one, of course, is Medicare. What we do is we tell doctors and hospitals, you have to treat this. These things cost this amount. The hospitals are like, okay, and then you, you are forced to do it. We will pay you back gradually. So for example, we owe services already rendered on Medicare, $33 trillion. It's more than the entire national debt. What we pay them back per year is $1.35 trillion. So, and unfortunately, that number of what we owe them is getting larger. The number that we're paying them back is also getting larger, but not keeping up with what we actually owe them. So what is the debt ceiling when you hear this? Well, I thought the debt ceiling was $29 trillion. Yes, that is that is uh, that is accurate, but what you what we would call debt is not actually what the government calls debt. What it is is, and, and Reinhold actually had a great analogy for it that it's the payday loan because what you say is, okay, I need to pay my this back now. I need to pay these hospitals back these one point three five trillion dollars now. Otherwise, we're kind of defaulting on the other thirty three trillion dollars. And that's when you get these collapses that you see in other countries when you say, hey, guys, we're never going to be able to pay you back for all the services you rendered. It gets ugly. So what it is, what the debt is, is what you know it as is actually just a bond that has been issued money that we have now. And those are the amount of bonds that we have out that we have to pay back. Because the thing is, unlike the $33 trillion that we owe doctors or the $21 trillion that we owe Social Security recipients that we have not paid yet, um, those are what we're behind. We can default on that. We can just say, okay, you already paid into Social Security. I'm sorry, we're never going to pay you back. I can look at all the doctors and hospitals and say, hey, I know you've done $33 trillion worth of work, but we're just never going to pay you that back anymore. Wait, Hody, I thought that money was in a lockbox. Oh, yeah. No, that's <laughs> uh, that's that's a great idea for it, you know, that it was just that the Social Security was just sitting around being invested because that's what was promised. Not exactly what happened in reality. In fact, what uh, the account never existed. So that's a whole other libertarian thing but the, the what we're doing is we're actually saying here's the stock so that you can pay some of it back now but unlike that 33 trillion dollars that we owe for medicare that that big number the 158 trillion dollar number that i gave the thing about the u.s debt that you know it is that's money that actually does have to be paid back because if i show up with a stock you know, and I, or a bond, I'm sorry, not a stock, a bond. And if I show up with a bond and I say, okay, I gave you guys $300, you promised it would collect this amount of interest. You know, this is why your grandma gives you those little things because they're guaranteed to collect a certain rate of interest. And you just say, hey, I'm showing up 10 years later and I'm cashing it out. If all those people show up at the same time, 
we owe them $29 trillion. And so what the debt ceiling is says, does it allow us to issue more of these bonds to pay back later? And that's what we know is the debt ceiling. I felt that that was just important to explain because it's one of those things that I didn't understand until I got at least a little bit into economics. I didn't understand, like I had heard the big number before. I'd heard the small number before. None of it seemed to make sense to me. I think unfortunately the default position, it's starting to even get that way among libertarians, unfortunately. But is that these, these numbers don't actually matter. Like debt doesn't matter because it's confusing. And so when, when something's confusing, it's very easy to just be like, let's just say it doesn't matter. No, these things matter. The odds are good that what we're talking about today, if the government does collapse, has a lot to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I thought that was a great explanation. More is like a bond then. And I liked Dennis's too. So it's basically like how deep in a hole can we go um, in case somebody wants to be paid back? But you, you know, you talk about w- what's happening too, which causes inflation as well. And then inflation makes everything we're borrowing, you know, we need more of it and it means less. You know, a lot of people talk about this fiscal cliff and things like that. When do we, when do we stop being able to do that? Or does, does the economy collapsing or, you know, like money meaning nothing and people starving and having a huge depression, does that equalize it? Wh- where does this go? How do you get out of this? I don't know if either one um, of you kind of... <laughs> Well, you get out of it with political will, and we don't have that. That's the problem, right? So we have to be willing to say no to certain things. We have to be willing to uh, properly invest the right way in the right things, right? Um, if we were to have a – so look, we go back and look at 2008, and we had you know just the housing market collapse caused – about took down the whole economy because of the way everything's integrated and, and it's so much more complex than people realize. That's what he said that, I mean, with debt, there's unfunded liabilities, there's uh, money that we owe ourselves. There's all kinds of little things in there. Right. So the total debt that we owe is not just the 33 trillion. It's even larger than that. Um, but if what happened in 2008, almost took everything down. Right. So who ended up coming out negatively in that situation, as always, it was people who had lesser means and lesser ability to navigate those types of situations. The people who caused it, the people, who, the, the investment bankers, the people who were uh, putting themselves in this position where they could take down the economy, uh, they walked away with more money than they had when they started. Right. We're, we're still centralizing all that wealth up to the top. It's all rising like a foam on a cappuccino. It's going to eventually cause the situation where you have a very high elite of people and every and there's no middle class anymore. Everybody's low or they're up here. And that's kind of how it was back in feudal days, right? I mean, you had the lords and you had the peasants and the peons and that was it. And the great thing about what we did in the United States was we really pushed the, this idea of a middle class where it's like, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of doing okay. We we can prepare for things. We can actually have some nice things. There's an old story Terry Pratchett tells in one of his books, um, which you know he's an amazing writer. But he he talks about looking at shoes as kind of an example of why poor people kind of have to stay poor or end up having bad experiences in life because if if you buy a cheaper pair of shoes, the shoes run out quicker. You have to go buy another pair of shoes, 
And then you have to buy another cheap pair because you haven't saved the money up yet. So you have to go buy another cheap pair. Whereas the rich person buys the better pair of shoes and it lasts them for a while. And then they can build their wealth back up. So what you have in a society like this sometimes is that we keep putting the burden on people who can't afford to pay the burden in order to placate the people who could, but they don't. Right. Um, and, and, and I'm not trying to get into the, like, a uh, this is no way saying there should be like a socialist environment or anything like that before everybody starts freaking out. Um, it's just the reality of a crony capitalist society, capitalist societies, and free market societies work really well. Crony capitalist societies do not. And what you have today is you have crony capitalism oppressing the lower class, raising up the higher class, because that's the function of it, the design of it. So people who see this inequality and this problem, and they don't know that there's a better alternative in the form of actual free markets and an actual good capitalist society where everybody can have a chance at things. So they switch over to something. Well, I guess we'll be socialists. That's how that comes about. That's how socialism gets more popular is because we've created such a horrible environment for those people that they don't see the alternative. And there's nobody making the good case other than a handful of libertarians that are then mocked online by both sides of the uh, political spectrum. Right. So you make an excellent point. No, no, I, I, I agree with you very much. So Dennis, um, I think the problem is that we have crony capitalism and what libertarians I do think are better at sometimes, um, is understanding the difference between government and capitalism. And what we have now isn't really capitalism. We have a giant oligarchy and it includes a lot of large corporations that, you know, lobby and get what they want. And they're in the pockets of the politicians and the politicians are in their pockets. And it's, you know what I mean? That's just this giant biggest government that's ever existed in the entire world in history. And we have it right now. And it does include a lot of times corporations. Now, does that mean every corporation is evil? Does that mean that they aren't providing a good or service goods and services? No, it just means it's this big convoluted mess. Um, and it really, we are, I've noticed since 2008, um, there's just a huge disparity now in income. It's just like, even in Ohio, like middle class, it used to be, and I know there's inflation and things like that, but you know, if you went out, you could have a one income household, you make 35, $40,000, maybe you're okay. Fast forward 10 years, inflation should not happen that quickly. If you make $35,000 now, your family's on food stamps and you can't eat. And yet we have like giant tech corporations, things like that, just growing by leaps and bounds. And it doesn't really affect them. Taxes don't get paid by corporations. They get paid by the little people. So, um, Hody, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, I, I I hardly have anything to add on what you spoke about because you both did such a bang up job. It is one of those uh, government controlled anything does not look like the anything that you put into it. Uh, and I look at this with like capitalism. If you think government can like oversee capitalism, okay, they 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 don't do well. This is what it looks like, right? And then, but like take this with anything. Like look when government tried to run like Christianity. Right. Like this is it's one of like if you judge Christianity based on its time with the government, you're not going to have a positive view of it. If you base capitalism on its time with the government, it's not going to be good. Socialism. 
You take that on its time with the government. It's bad. Like, and so I think this is one of those unifiers as a libertarian. We tend to divide a lot on this socialist, capitalist, corporatist, <laughs> crony, what, you know, whatever you, terms you want to use. We end up arguing about definitions forever, as opposed to just saying like, hey, can we just agree that like the problem, uh, like the problem with my idea popped up as soon as I put it in this machine. Right. Like, so this is this is kind of the the issue, right? The government trying to run an economy is a really poor idea for anybody looking to get on the economic train. I strongly recommend Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. That's the first book I read that got me into kind of the deeper nitty gritties of capitalism. But that's a book. There's no charts. There's no graphs. You can get it on audiobook that just kind of like introduces you to some of the basic concepts. Um, but I think it, it, it's a good place to start. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I think what we're approaching on is this like we can't, we'll never pay our debt. We can't pay our debt. That's, that's not true. We absolutely can. In fact, uh, I mentioned our almost half a million dollar, $273,000 is what every citizen owes towards these unfunded liabilities. The big number, the $158 trillion number, right? That's what we all owe. What we have is actually just under $200 trillion, uh, which is just under $600,000 per person. So we have the capability of paying it off. Here's the problem. That number includes like Alaska and Texas and Maine. So like it, that's talking about like selling off a state. Now, obviously, that's not the way we'd like to pay off our debt, right? Like this is not like a, and, and it's not one of those like you sold it, but everybody still gets to live in their houses. It's one of those like you sold it and they get to do whatever they want with it type of like you actually have to leave your home. It's an ugly situation. This has happened to countries before, but this is actually what it, when people call your debt, this is what happens. Now, it would be ugly if people called our debt right now because Yes, we can technically pay it off, but we'd like we'd be the size of like three of our states maybe and then we'd each have like if if you think about the wealth you have now and then cut and then say I had to give away 75% of it in order to balance the budget. Would your life look great if you had to give away 75% of what makes you wealth? No. Okay. So the idea is that we can't we can't be paying this off all at once. Now we are more than capable of paying it off and we don't have to sell states to do it. We generate revenue because we work at a profit here. We, we make more than we consume. That's a cool thing about America because not every country is working with that right now. And we are capable of producing even more. First of all, if we stop outsourcing it, but if we, if we actually like say like, Hey, we're going to get back to this. We're going to pay these, these new dollars that we make instead of saying like, Hey, we're going to spend it on this new project, this new thing, this great idea, this bridge to nowhere, this precinct that doesn't exist, but you know, some politician knows the bank account number, this friend of a politician who's running this really cool fund that we're never going to hear about from ever again, these $350,000 or no, I'm sorry, $3,500 coffee mugs that go to the department of defense. You know, if we cut down on those things, not, and, and I'm not even talking full anarchy, although me being an anarchist, I'm cool with this, but you know, if, if you must like, the thing is we can, pay for all of these things and then just say, I'm going to cut down on this. And instead of doing any big new projects, I'm going to pay off these old ones. Now there is a, there is a time and people will kind of harp on this when they say debt's not a problem. There is a time when you invest in something with a debt 
for example, like a mortgage or something like that. But our mortgages are concrete. Generally, what we're buying with the government is not responsible. It's not responsible spending. It's not solvent spending. It is not something that actually has a definitive, you know, a price at the end of it, a sale price. And so the issue is, is that we spend it on these things. We'd never recoup our costs. You both mentioned, and I, and I applaud you for it, that this is something that makes the rich richer because they're always the ones that get paid first and quite on a quite literal basis. When we talk about, Hey, they have to print money. Well, where do you think it all goes? It goes to the central banks. It goes to their affiliates. And then it goes to the majority of the way money enters the economy is the banks lending that out. And who do they lend out to? They lend it out to the big businesses, the first in line, the people. Are with you great forgetting credit. about that six hundred dollar check, Cody? The six hundred dollar oh, checks. I know. How did? Wow, you should be a lot more grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that, like, you know, Forbes and Business Insider, and and you know, they're fine, and and all these sites are kind of noticing that they're like, oh wait, we actually are now able to afford things less after printing all this money out than we were before. That's so weird. Whereas libertarians are screaming at the entire time. I'm just kind of like, man, we're. Why did you listen to us, man? You know, a lot of these, and of course, a lot of these sites knew that that was going to happen, but it was, you know, a temporary thing to placate us. And now it's harder for us to keep up with our lifestyles than ever before, because even though they printed out money, which was necessary, especially when they shut down your job and tell you you're not allowed to work at your job. Okay. You know, like, like you said, Trisha, I'm not going to pass up on this $600, but I'm well aware that by that, because they did this, it's going to make me less likely to afford rent in the future. It's going to make me less likely to afford all the things that I'd like to do. Yeah, my um, kids. <laughs> yeah, right. Feed your kids, close your kids. I mean, everything, just everything gets more expensive. These are inflationary costs because we have to be able to they print the money out. They put it in the system. And it's not like that was backed by anything. Now, I, I'm not a big gold standard guy. I know that that kind of used to be a libertarian cry for like a little while. But I mean, at least it was something that was based on what money is supposed to be based on is our perceived value of all of our stuff. But when we're printing money out and haven't added more stuff, well, then it's actually based on just nothing. And so people are kind of seeing that. That's why, I mean, inflation's going through the roof. Of course, the people who are most protected by this were the ones who are already wealthy, the ones who are crony, the ones who are already in with the politicians. And people like us don't get anything at all. You know, the, the one of the issues that I have with this is the way that money enters the system. They're like, okay, we need this amount of money circulating around. But the fact that they give it to central banks first, what service did the bank do for the government that was any different than what I do, which is pay my taxes and help out? Basically, by printing out this money, you've hurt every person who uses that money. It's just by definition, their money is now worth less. Every money possessor has less buying power when you print out more money. But when you print out all that money and you say, okay, I know this is going to hurt everybody who gave it, you need to be able to distribute that money as opposed to giving it straight to these your crony allies. And I know that this is going to – Dennis <laughs> Reinhold already mentioned this is going to sound socialist. I'm not saying that this is my solution, but it would be far better to give it to everybody. Every time you print out a dollar, you give it to everybody in the country who uses that dollar as opposed to giving it straight to a bank, then gives it out. And like I said, the majority of the way this money enters is through a loan. That's not fair right off the bat, because then it goes to this business who owes the money back, who then has to get the money from me to pay back that loan, mm -hmm. right? This is how the rich get richer. And you know? who's able to go bankrupt like that. Right, yep. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so I think it's funny because between Reinhold and Hody, you know, I basically mm-hmm. said, how do we get away? How do we not fall off a cliff? How do we not, you know, destroy? And Reinhold says political fortitude and, and will, and we don't have it. So it's not going to happen. And Hody came up with a way that it actually could happen and it's feasible. And I think there were both excellent points. Um, but at the end of the day, I have to say, I disagree kind of a little bit with, with you, Hody, because I think we don't have the fortitude. No, not, I don't disagree with your point. You were exactly right. I'm saying it's never going to happen. Uh, People don't abdicate their own power. Um, And with what Dennis said, you know, if we had the political fortitude, maybe we could, what if we could win elections? What if we could, but ultimately we relying on a government to do something right. And the government produces a poor product, not because there's power, this because it's based on a monopoly on force. And so, it's just not capitalism and it's not run well because it comes from a false place. So I, I just, I think eventually a collapse will happen. I just don't know how long we could ride this until a collapse would. I I don't think a collapse is going to happen. I, here's the situation. The government is just run by people and that's why it doesn't work. Right. I mean, it's not like, Oh, the government's involved in it. It's all going to be taken care of now. You really believe, does anybody really believe that? <laughs> I mean, there are people who do, I'm sure, but it's like, no, you just got a bunch of people now who are in there making decisions that, and, and I harp on this a lot. So this is going to sound, you, you're going to have heard this before probably, but the, the problem is, is that when you get government involved, you get politics involved, you get politics, politics involved, you're not making the best decisions. You're making the best political decisions that involve that gets involved in the decisions. It's like when you put uh, government into healthcare. Now you're talking to your doctor, and you have to think about the political ramifications of it. So that's how they have to work. You know, it, it, it introduces things into the mix that muddy what's the best solution. If we didn't have politics involved in a lot of this, we would do a lot better, right? Uh, if we had non-governmental agencies or organizations running certain things like the FDA and the CDC and the, um, the banking systems and all that stuff, if that, if that was all non-governmental controlled, we wouldn't have politics involved. I mean, that's why the Fed has such a big problem is that they were supposed to be a, a way to kind of get together and, and handle inflation and interest rates. But then the, then the government said, oh, we also want you to do, you know, unemployment. And make everything else better and take care of this and take care of this and now take care of this. And now you've got all these things competing with each other, trying to make it work, all politically motivated. So we had a big problem with stagflation in the 70s is because they didn't have the political will to do what needed to be done until Volcker came in and said, no, we're going to let the interest rates go to what they need to be in order to get everything settled back down again. And that's why we had such a good 1980s was because Volcker did that and got us out of the spiral of the 70s. We need people like that doing things nowadays. And you're not going to find that inside of government because the politics has gotten too bad, right? We, we are subject, the people in the United States right now are so subjected to the propaganda that the politicians are feeding them that they're so concerned about things that have nothing to do with anything. <laughs> it's all meaningless. It's, it's like, oh, this thing or that thing. And it's the, the daily outrage and the, and I hate these people and I hate these people. And, you know, the divide up in the camps and let's hate each other. And then you have all this conflict and now we can get our political power up and we can be in charge of things. When they get in charge of things, they don't fix it. 
because they're just looking to keep their power at that point. So all you need to do is, is understand that we, the people have the power to stop all of this. If we can get out from underneath the, the propaganda, if we can get out from underneath the idea of hating each other, we can get out from underneath the idea that we should be worrying about things that aren't the big problems, then together we could stop it because the politicians are going to do what the majority of people tell them to do at the end of the day, or they're going to get booted out. But so many people are, are more involved in issues that have nothing to do with anything and, and are just designed to keep them in that state of ignoring the real problems uh, and keeping electing these horrible people. I mean, the, the average, I've not seen the average intelligence of politicians rising in the last 30 years. No. <laughs> I haven't seen that happen yet. And it's getting worse. The certain, the people that I see, so you go on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever, and you look at quotes from politicians and what they're saying. And it's just like, you don't, oh, they're you deaf. Even, they're how do you deaf. tie your shoe yeah. in the morning? <laughs> you, you're, you're so dumb. You know, yeah. it's just, it gets uh, frustrating. And that's, and that's the irritating part because we're electing terrible people because they're saying the things that we are, are feeding off of that feed us, that get our emotions going. They get our, and our, and our we're allowing ourselves to be dumbed down. And I think that's an excellent point, Dennis. It's very uh, Harry Brown-esque. You know, you, you're free right here in your own mind. That's where freedom starts. Love um, Harry Brown. Yes, me too. Hody, uh, by the way, when I said I disagreed, I didn't disagree at all with your analysis. You're completely right. I meant like, like I was all hopeful for a minute. I'm like, wait a minute. Government's never going to do that. <laughs> we have this solution and we're great. Oh, yeah. we're never going to actually do that. Okay. Well, what are we going to do now? What are we going to actually do to fix this? Yeah. So, Hody, what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think that's possible? Not logistically, like you explained very well, but do you think it's possible for for people to be enlightened for us, you know, to get out from underneath this debt and um, to live more free? Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah. So a lot of uh, uh, there's a good reason that libertarians get hopeful about alternative currencies, uh, because all of this is predicated on singularized currency. Um it's, I don't want to get in too much of the situation of I, I don't want to overwhelm people. If if those who want to learn more, okay, a little history lesson. We got Keynes over here who designs an economic system, the Nazis adopt it, and then that spreads to the rest of the world. Because while the Nazis were bad, their economic system that incentivized war yeah. and you know division <laughs> and stuff that must have been awesome right i don't so think like, anybody even knows what fascism and nazism and keynesian even right. is anymore well, well and, and fascism is a combination is a combination of economics and social policies right like th there's this kind of fame like there's this like 14 famous and and it's it's a great analysis of like what is this what is the culture that you know that that fascism has and then there's the the counter is what's that economics that fascism has and that's the combination of the two things that makes it so terrible that what made the nazis so bad because one is if they had a terrible like if they had like a, a an ethical economic system but this terrible ideology well they they're not going to take over the world their their economics sucks you know what i mean like they're, they're not in any good shape to do that Whereas if they have this great, this, this very big and powerful economy, that's kind of like scary, but then, a, a, you know, socially they're fantastic, then 
People don't care if you're growing economically because, hey, you love everybody. So it's cool. You know, what made fascism fascism is the combination of these two things that were incredibly toxic. And and unfortunately, while America has kind of learned that, hey, fascism sucks socially. I mean, every country on Earth adopted their income identity equation. Every country on Earth ended up adopting the Keynesian prescription. And this is And so you shouldn't be surprised when fascist stuff happens, when you predicated your entire economy on this. One of those is singularized currencies. Now, here's the brilliance. Keynes was a smart guy. Like, let's let me say that right off the bat, because a lot of people get into that. Like Marx was so dumb. You know, Keynes was so dumb. No, these are very smart people. They're very well aware of these problems. I mean. One of them, I mean, Keynes wrote a book called The Economic Consequence of the Peace. Like peace is a troublesome thing for, you know, for them. They're aware that like war is going to pop up and, and you know, murder is going to happen, but they just see it as a, as a tolerable evil as opposed to what we see it as, as libertarians, which is like, uh, if you have like war as part of your economy, maybe that's not a great thing, you know, um, you know, a lot of broken window analysis and, and, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds on that, but I did want to lay down that historical, you know, framework because why did every country on earth then adopt it? If we saw like, Hey, the Nazis kind of do some evil stuff and bad things happen. Why did every country on earth adopt it? Because what it did is it gave control to that government of these systems, because what it said is it's not that collapses don't happen, but if they happen, we will be protected. It's not that these bubbles don't pop, but when they pop, we will be protected. We're in control. Now, the people who get hurt are these people on the outside. Um, I'm somewhat in agreement with Dennis the more, or with Reinhold. The more I look at assets per citizen, liability per citizen, the more I see like eh, collapse isn't too likely. Although we are hitting a lot of the markers. Now, here's the thing: these markers that we hit. John Oliver has this hilarious episode about debt. Uh, because of course he doesn't see it as that much of a problem and it's this big boogeyman and scary thing and at the end he's like look it's not gonna nothing bad is gonna happen until your you know your your debt per year is exceeding your interest we are so far over that i mean we are just <laughs> blowing that out i thought it was funny that he ended with that because i'm just like oh buddy we we are like <laughs> we are way over that man like when you said we should even start freaking out about it we're over that debt to gdp ratio at 140 percent plus we're over it like it's just we are we are doing a lot we're checking a lot of the boxes that makes things collapse the issue is is that what people will look at they'll look at your total assets so they'll say if we split this country up because they're insolvent and we and they owe us money and we're just going to go take it do they have what it takes to pay us off yes they do so that you know that's there and then the other part is we bring in $3.8 trillion per year. Now we, we spend way more than that, but the thing is, is they know we're good for $3.8 trillion a year. So yeah, they're okay with us going to debt for now because we can pay it. Somebody's going to pay it. It's probably a future generation. And that's a bit unfortunate because unfortunately they're going to be able to do less. Every time we print a dollar, Every debt that we go into, that's a Christmas that you're not that you're going to have to work instead of spend with your kids. That's another. That's more hours in your work week. This is more people crammed into the same house and not living their own individual lives. These are more cutbacks that you take. Now the thing is, is this is what happens to the common person that takes these on. 
what happens to the people that are in charge? Oh, they're very fully insulated. So, you know, I, I imagine a lot of this is now they do have an incentive, the idea behind Keynes, and he's not, he didn't think he was as evil as I make him sound out sound to be. He, he really didn't. He wasn't like, oh, Nazis. Awesome. I hate Jews, too. Like, he's not one of those guys. He, but what he didn't understand was that these are the consequences. These are the necessary consequences of what were what was going to happen. And so what we have here is average citizens paying this price. You look at average hours that your citizen ha- that your household has to work to stay afloat. 50, you know, before we ad- adopted these policies, it's like, you know, 38 hours per week. Now we're uh, average household. If you're not putting in 65 plus hours, and even then that's your average household that is still racking on debt. So you need an average of both your parents working to even make a dent in the debt on average. And so what happened, what's happening is the average citizen is paying the price for what the federal government is doing. And unfortunately, they're the ones who receive all the protection. And the average person is the the first one who suffers for this reckless spending, because they're the ones whose lifestyles have to change. Like we pay this price because we can't afford as much as we did before. Their lifestyles don't change. It's ours that do. And this is kind of where it hits on the, the unethical way that this entire system is set up without getting into the nitty gritty of it is it places all of that burden of generating revenue on the average person of working hard. And then when it's time to cut back, who has to cut back the average person and like, like the average hardworking family that has already suffered and struggled so much. Oh, your, your work, your work weeks are getting longer. Your days off are disappearing. And all this has to do with the way the government is choosing to spend and spend and spend. And the thing is, is you'll pay a little bit of the price for it. We pay a little bit of the price now. Like I said, we're, we're going to, you know, if we keep things up the way things are, then over our generation, we're going to see our work weeks per household go from 65 hours to 75 hours. But then our children are going to start with that 75 hours. And if they keep that up, it's going to go 75 to 85 hours. And at some point, and this is the other part where I see a collapse potentially happening if it happens at all, there's a point where you just say, I'm not going to do it anymore. We're just collectively, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to work that hard. I'm not going to pay these bills. We're all not going to pay these bills. And when you have enough people that unite and saying, yeah, we're, we can't afford to live here anymore. That's when all of a sudden it's kind of this backbreaking point right now. The saddest part is it's sapping the citizens. We say like, you're such hard work and good people. That's what's keeping them in business Mm -hmm. is that we keep working harder. We keep being, we're willing to work twice as hard to receive half of what our parents' generation have. That's what we're doing. Right. So now I'm aware because of technology, we have more luxuries. Right. So I don't want to make it sound like everything is worse than it was in the past. Technology and science has benefited us greatly. But the problem is, is everything that was a luxury for them, we have half of those luxuries of what's available now. And we have to work twice as hard for them. And so this is going to keep happening and happening. And eventually it's just going to get a point where most citizens are going to look at each other and they're going to be like, screw this. Right. Oh, yeah. I don't pay that bill. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to pay my rent on time. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah. To that point, Hody, you're right, but I don't know when that comes because I think a lot of times, especially like even with lockdowns, you, you see some uprising, some bubbling, and um, but we're still with tech and things, we're still at like the most comfortable time in human history. So sure. I think we'd have to get to a point where we're living like third world citizens. Um, and you know what I mean? It's just enough is enough. And gosh, that could be generations from now. Or oh, yeah. it 
it could never happen. Ironically, you know, people that are coming over trying to work hard are getting turned away, um, which is always, that's a whole other topic we could talk about another day. <laughs> um, but I do want to, I want to wrap up a little bit this show. We could, you know, I really enjoyed talking today about like economics because it was a lot more interesting than um, a lot of the conversations because it dealt more around people. So I thought that was really important. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, numbers and what the government's doing, but you guys brought up, you know, how it affects regular people. And that's who listens to We Are Libertarians Network um, and the Chris Spangle Show. Um, I do want to just go around and do some quick final thoughts today. Uh, before we say goodbye on this Saturday afternoon, Reinhold, what are your thoughts on either one of these topics or anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, today? Well, final thought, I was just going to kind of toss out there. Um, while he was talking, I was thinking about this. The, the reality is, is that we are basically creating an environment where we enjoy all these luxuries we're talking about in a situation and making our grandchildren pay for it. Right. And giving them the bill for it. Right. So, in generations past and and in, in years past, people would be much more, um, I want to take the hit so that my kids have it better. Yeah. But for some reason, it seems to have gone away or that people aren't seeing it that way. And maybe that's the issue is that people aren't seeing that they're doing the exact opposite of that, that they are basically paying for their comfort on the backs of their kids. And maybe once people start to realize that something will happen, you know, something will change um, once that mindset kicks in. But I just don't think people are there yet. I think um, I think it's going to it's going to happen eventually. Someday somebody's going to realize this uh, and and take care of it. And, and when I say that, I, I don't think we have the political will partly, too, is the fact that um, I think we I think we will. Eventually. So I don't think we're going to collapse, but I do think people are going to start see when things start affecting the people who have the money and have the wealth, things will change, right? They'll take care of it. It'll be uh, embarrassing. They'll have to change on a dime on what they were doing before and they'll still keep themselves protected, but they'll do some things. They'll get some money back. They'll, they'll, uh, forgive student loans for people or they'll uh, increase the, the minimum wage or something. They'll, they'll do some things to help things out, which isn't the better solution, but it's better than nothing. It's better than keeping it worse. And that's where we're really, we get into, we get a situation where our, our society and the people who are controlling it at the moment do just enough to keep themselves going, to keep everything going. Uh, without ever fixing anything. Because if you fix everything, there's no more conflict. There's no more political mm. power. So that's that's kind of my final thoughts on that. So That was hopeful, Reinhold. I appreciated that. Um, I think you kind of basically saying some generation is going to have to be braver than we are. And I'm hoping to raise my children to be those type of people. Um, Hody, final thoughts? Uh, Reinhold, Trish, you two are my favorite people to talk to. I'm not at all surprised that this show was just totally baller because that's just... <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's good conversations I have whenever I talk to either one of you, um, both of you together, obviously it's just magic. Uh, so yeah, oh, thank you yeah. for, for letting me par- be part of this. I, I, I had a good time. Um, yeah. So I, I have a great final thought on this and, and, and here it is. Do not make your neighbor, your enemy 
uh, because of anything we've talked about here today. Uh, and, and to be very specific, here, here, here's a way you make your neighbor your enemies. These to say, I'm a hardworking person. You know, I, I, I work the, you know, the 65 plus hour work week that I have to in order to break even. And that's why I'm debt free because I'm such a hard worker and I sacrifice all these things. I'm not saying that all those aren't important or good. Like you are a good person for being able to work hard and you should take pride in being able to work hard. But what our government has done with our economy is unfair. And so when you say that this person was only allowed to work or only able, capable of working 40 hours a week, that's, that's a good human amount to kind of, you know, aim for there. And, but they, they don't work hard enough to afford all these luxuries. The thing is they shouldn't have to, Right. The government has done a tremendous amount of damage and made it so that we can afford less and that we have to work harder to afford to afford less things than we should be able to afford. And that needs to be your target. That is that is always the problem. So when you say like, oh, well, they just want to live this extravagant lifestyle and they only want to work th- these many hours per week. Look, it, I get it. There is a point when you just say like, yeah, I decided to have... 30 kids and stay at home. And I found these advantages and loopholes to take care of, but those are so few and far between. And they generally don't actually impact the economy at the level that we're talking about. We're having a national conversation right now. You know, the, what's doing the most damage is not your neighbor. What's doing the most damage is this economic system. And I'm saying this because it was a point of pride for myself for a long time to be like this. I rejected government handouts. I was like, I'm a self-made man and I do all this. And it's true. Like, I mean, and it's a, it's an okay thing to be prideful about, but it's not okay to take out against your neighbor because we should be able to afford these nice things. And it is unfair that we can't afford them unless we give an ungodly amount of hours into making this economic system work. We opened the show talking, I I talked about the kind of useful idiot thing that they say they let this person go forward and nothing that they're saying is necessarily wrong, but they're being a useful idiot because the outcome is something that is going to say, hey, let's give more power to a crony company that's capable of these right of, you know, handling these regulations in bed with a government that is going to pass those regulations, right? So when you say like, oh, every, if everybody just stepped up and work harder, we'd be done. No, there's no way the government is just going to spend more money. If you step up and work harder, if every single one of us is like, no, we're going to go over the revenue. You don't think the government's going to spend it. They're already spending money that they shouldn't like money that already puts us into an economic disaster kind of situation even though we're bringing in an unreal $3.8 trillion a year, they are still managing to outspend it. Like, and this is, this is the problem. And it's not that, well, who do they spend it on? They spend it on your neighbor who takes Medicare, Medicaid, social security, whatever defense and war is the third one. Look, all of these can be greatly reduced if they handled it responsibly. I mean, I mean, you can even go to mainstream sources who tell you that government inflates medical prices by 75 to 95%. You know, like, I mean, this isn't even libertarian crazy world. This is just normal. Everybody understands and knows that it happens. Social security, they decide to borrow from it even before we put into it. And then they're continuing to borrow from it. Like some kind of Ponzi scheme. It's not your neighbor's fault. He paid, we paid into it. We all paid into it. Right. Like, And so the fact that the government took it away and mismanaged it, look, the money you get back on Social Security isn't even as good as the money that you would have got by investing it in the markets currently. 
which are currently hampered by the government anyway, right? Like, so the thing is, is when we blame social security recipients, when we blame Medicare and Medicaid recipients, we're being useful idiots because that's not the problem. The problem is the system behind it needs to be dismantled or changed drastically. And the way we make those changes is by saying no. I know what you're saying is that I should vote for this person and this person, but this is my line. This is my limit. I am not going to pass one more extra hour off to my kid's generation by voting for your crap politician. I am not going to weaken my child's dollar and make them work harder to afford less by voting for your crap politician. This is my line in the stand. I am saying I'm going to work hard because I like the things that I enjoy and I love my family and I want to have these certain things. Should I be able to work less hard? Yes, I should. So should you. We are all in this together. It's an us versus them, but them is not your next door neighbor. Them is somebody working at the Treasury, working who is in the White House, who is on these administrations. Them is somebody who is paying politicians under over the table. I don't even want to say under the table. Uh, OpenSecrets.org people like the lobbying money is crazy. These people get millions of dollars to vote for a certain bill, to vote in a certain way, to go to these phantom districts. That is your enemy. Your next door neighbor is not your enemy. Okay, so like. Just make sure when you're having these conversations that the blame stays where it needs to be. And if you find yourself having a conversation that kind of shifts down into why your neighbor who decided the audacity of them to have three kids when they can't afford it, they should be able to have three kids and they should be able to afford it. And they're probably living a life that would pay for those three kids if their dollar wasn't being ripped apart and destroyed by politicians that don't understand economics and the ones that do understand enough to give themselves the control and make sure that your next door neighbor pays the price. They are not bad people for deciding to raise their families and live these lives that they deserve to live. And I don't like it. I think our focus needs to stay on that, on what our real enemy is. And the blame needs to not be shifted on your next door neighbor, because that's how we stay in this situation is blaming each other and blaming our neighbors. The way we fix this situation is by getting to the root of the problem. We've done a great job on this episode talking about what the root of that problem is. You need, you don't kill a tree by whacking at these leaves. It might feel fun to take a few cracks at Octo mom, but what have you done when you're looking, (laughs) when you're looking at the tree that has, that is sucking out our lifeblood? Well, you need to get at the roots and that takes work. That takes focus. That takes, and takes you and your neighbor's assistance to get there. So when you're taking, these cracks at Octomom and it's funny and I get it and all that, you're really just whacking at the top of the leaves of this tree and say, look, I'm helping. I'm fixing the economy, right? This is, we need to stick to the roots of the problem. That's where the focus needs to be. Um, yes. But yeah, Trisha, your final thoughts, close us out, <laughs> bring us home. I, I quite agree. Hody said the word enemy a lot, which is the title of his show, Enemy of My Enemy, which is center right, left libertarian. You can catch it on the network. This has been an awesome show. Um, I liked the tone of what you guys both said for the closing. Uh, we can sit and fight each other. We can do this left-right divide, libertarian divide, and it's all completely fruitless. And we are going to be useful idiots for the state um, if we do that. So I would encourage you to uh, listen to Hody's show. Go back and listen to some uh, Chris Spangle shows. If you haven't listened before, go to wearelibertarians.com. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm not going to close this like I close my show because I'm going to be clean and not swear. Plus, Hody's here and he like literally melts if I swear, say a swear word. He was getting really heated, thought he might swear for a minute, was getting excited. He did not. 
<laughs> Anyways, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. I wish you peace, grace, and have a wonderful week. <laughs>